This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment. And this is a bonus episode, episode 51. And I'm calling this episode, George, the story of heartache to healing. On this bonus episode, I will take you on the road where I met George from Newcastle and got his very own faith experiment story. We recorded this episode on location, so there is some background noise, but you can still hear the story. Now, once again, I have a great giveaway on this episode. It is a fantastic book that has helped people like George and millions of others to find a deeper relationship with Jesus in their very own faith experiment. The book is called Steps to Christ. To get this free offer today, stick around to the end of the show where I'll be giving away a code word to claim today's free offer. And remember, once again, if you've missed any of the previous episodes, you want to catch us on the details, go check out your Faith FM app on your app store or visit faithfm.com.au and look for the Faith Experiment under the podcasting section. Well, on today's show, I have a special guest, George. George comes from Hamilton in New South Wales, which is near Newcastle, for those who don't know. And George, I met him about seven or eight months ago on a visit up to this area. And I heard a little bit of his story, and I was really excited about what I'd heard. And I said, I want to catch up with you again, George. We have more time. I want to sit down, and I want you to share your full story with me and we're going to put it on the faith experiment. And so today is the day. I've got George sitting here with me. George, so good to see you again. Thank you, Robbie. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. And it's it's been a a few months coming. I thought we'd be doing this a lot lot sooner, but I'm glad we're doing it in person. It's not over the (laughs) phone. And um, I'm excited today to, to sit down and to, yeah, just to capture your story. Because from the little glimpses that I heard when I was here last time, it was really fascinating. So we're going to spend some time now, um, yeah, learning from your experience, and I'm sure that it will benefit those who are tuning in, listening to the Faith Experiment today. So after the break, we're going to get started. We're going to hear from George and um, hear his story. Mm. So stick around. We'll be right back after this with the Faith Experiment. You're listening to the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04 That's 04 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. chair that waits for you and a friend who understands everything you're going through but you keep standing Your shame, 
There's a light of hope that's shining. Won't you come and take your place and bring it all to the table? There's nothing he ain't seen before. All your sin, all your sorrow, and your sadness. There's a savior, and he calls. Bring it all to the table. He can see the weight you carry, the fear that haunts your heart. Through the cross, you've been forgiven. You're accepted as you are, and bring it all to the table. There's nothing he ain't seen before. All your trials, all your worries, and your burdens. There's a savior, and he calls. Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen and this is episode number 51. It's a bonus episode which I'm calling George, a story from heartache to healing. And stick around. Coming up very, very soon is the code where to get today's great free giveaway, the powerful little book, Steps to Christ. And now let's return back to George. I'm here with George today, and George is, as I said before the break, in the Newcastle area. He has had an amazing story, a remarkable story, and I had a chance to meet him a few months ago. And when he shared with me some of the the little snippets of what's happened in his uh, journey in faith, I said, I have to get you on the show. And today's the day. I've got George sitting in front of me. George, 
You're from Newcastle. What's it like living in Newcastle? Oh, it's the same as it's always been. Nothing ever really happens. <laughs> oh, oh, I hope we're not going to offend any of our Newcastle listeners. Are you you're a long-time resident here in the area? Oh, I've lived here all my life. Okay, so you're an authority. You're an authority. Yeah. Take yeah. it from George. He, he's not making fun of anybody. He's, he's telling you how it is. Yeah. What's, what's the most exciting thing to do in Newcastle, George? Oh, for me, uh, basically, well, oh, nothing really. <laughs> I'm very much still a homebody. I'm just coming to church, I suppose. Oh, well, that's always, that's a, always a good time. thing to do. Uh, I love the church. I love the people here. I get along with them, and they surprisingly like me. At least they pretend to. <laughs> and um, and I, I find it, I'm, my life is becoming more, more interesting. There's more activity, more work in my life. Wow. And I find it, I'm taking pleasure in that. So, George, you, you've been here all your life. Did your parents move to Newcastle? Have they lived here all their lives as well? All their lives. They've been living here. Wow. Yeah. So, were you here in the... I've been told. Um, I don't know a lot about Newcastle. Oh, all their lives ever since they came to Australia. Before that, they lived in um, other places in Greece and in Egypt. Oh, wow. Yeah, because um, they're immigrants. They're oh, okay. They're immigrants. So your, parent, so, your parents moved to Newcastle from, wait, Greece... Yeah, from Greece, and my mother grew up, even though she's ethnically Greek, she was um, raised, born and raised in um, Egypt, a place in Egypt. Wow. Uh, so do you speak any Egyptian? <laughs> no, no. There are many dialects of Arabic. My, my mother could speak it. Oh, really? She could speak it fluently. She grew up with it. Wow. But I couldn't, and so could my maternal grandmother. So uh, why Newcastle? Do you know why they chose Newcastle? Oh, it's a good question. Perhaps because of just work being here. Right. And... Um, BHP used to be around about here. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I don't know much about Newcastle, but I know that at some point it was a big steel town. It was. Yeah. It was. So that would have been that era? Yeah. 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 So um, I think it was just simply just jobs. Mm. It was just jobs. And um, everything's not too far away. It's not reasonably priced. It's not expensive like Sydney or any place like that. Yeah. So um, it was a good place to, to settle down, to, 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 to live, to raise a family. Right. So, George, we're on the faith experiment, so we, we're interested um, not just about Newcastle and your, your um, parents and your migration to here and how you grew up here. We're interested in the faith journey. And you shared with me a few months ago when I was here that your faith journey sort of, there wasn't a lot of it as a child, but it was impacted by what happened during your childhood. And you have, you have a brother that had some challenges. Why don't you start there? Yeah. My brother, his name is Peter. Um, he's 50 years old this year, and um, he's, he's two years younger than me. I was born in 1970. He was born in 1972. And when he was born, something happened. He didn't receive enough oxygen to the brain, which caused irreparable brain damage. And um, genetically, He's perfectly normal, as opposed to somebody who suffers, say, Down syndrome, where it is, where it is a genetic abnormality. He's as perfectly normal as you and me in terms of genetics. But he had this evil happen in his life where, um, when at the moment he was born, where he didn't receive that oxygen to the brain, causing that um, brain damage. And as a result, he um, has cerebral palsy. He's nonverbal. Later in life, growing up, he developed epilepsy. He's just, he's got everything. He's got problems all over the place, many different forms of problems. And um, uh, he's always been a handful. 
And growing up in, in, ever since my child has always been a handful and, in fact, a burden upon my family, especially my mother, um, who loved him very, very um, dearly. Um, and um, growing up in our childhoods, uh, he, I was sort of glad that I had a brother, but I, you know, many times I wish he was normal, of course, mm. as you can understand. But being a child, you don't really, you're not really a thoughtful person, are you, as a child? You don't really care <laughs> about these things. So um, growing up in such a household, I could see that it was a burden and all that, but um, uh, it was my parents' was problem. It wasn't mine. And um, he, he grew up going into um, in and out of special schools and going to specialist doctors and so, like psychologists and all that. And basically that was life growing up for years and decades, um, him going to um, specialist doctors and schools. And um, as I said before, my brother was a handful for my family, for my, especially my mother. And as my mother grew older, I'm going to skip decades in saying this, as she grew older, in her old age, she de developed um, uh, difficulties of her own medical conditions, arthritis in both knees, um, type 2 diabetes, and all sorts of problems, part of just growing old, I suppose. Mm. And all of a sudden she couldn't really take good care of him, considering also my brother, as he grew older, became more fierce, more angry, more violent. Mm. That made it even more difficult. And um, one day, somebody, somebody discovered it with the doctor, her family doctor, probably heard of it or something, and um, they relayed it to the police, they relayed it to um, uh, some sort of governmental body of some kind. And um, they went into my home one day and took him away. And took Peter away and um, put him in a home. Uh, they, uh, one of these um, organisations, community organisations, they put him in a um, home or a series of homes nearby. And my mother could still visit him. I mean, it was twice a week um, for um, an hour or two each time. So, total, what, three, two, three, four hours every week. And... Um, she would get there by specialist taxi. And um, it, look, it broke her heart having my brother taken away like that. She took it as if she, she wasn't a good mother. She took it that way. Mm. Well, she was a good mother, but um, she just couldn't cope as she grew older, though she would not have accepted seeing it that way. And um, uh, she would um, visit him every week, and that's what life would be. And um, it, Many times, I, it, it, as I said before, it broke her heart and there are many times I would hear her on, sitting on the veranda by herself crying, sobbing. So it really took a lot out of her. But one day, um, the people who take care of my brother wanted to put him into a, a facility in Morissette, which is a very big distance away from where we live. My mother would have had to spend, um, basically, if you did the calculation, she would have had to spend hundreds of dollars every week to and from there to visit him, mm -hmm. and not to mention the hours it would have taken every week. And it was just untenable, it was a situation which we, um, we simply couldn't afford, uh, both in money and time. Um, so it, this caused me despair, seeing the, the situation that my mother was in. It just caused me sadness, and it caused my, uh, me a lot of sorrow, a lot of sorrow. And I was reduced, 
to just pacing up and down the house, just feeling broken-hearted and sad and just wanting to leap out of my skin and just uninventing my existence. Um, not actually suicidal, but wishing I never existed. Um, sort of like that. Um, just pacing up and down the house, just wanting to leap out of my skin. That's what I remember most about it. It was an awful feeling, a terrible, terrible feeling. And as the weeks wore on, as it came close to that date where they wanted to put my brother in that facility in, um, in Morissette, it just got worse for me. Worse for my family, but worse for me, that feeling of um, just wanting to leap out of my skin. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. As for me, growing up in such a household and seeing the condition of my brother and my family, I became bitter and hate-filled. Um, because, I mean, the way I, I, mean, I wasn't an um, overly religious man. I didn't go to church or anything like that, but I never discounted the idea that there's a God in heaven. Was your family religious at all? Uh, my father was not. He, was, he would have been classed as an atheist. He was not a believer. My mother w was a believer, but uh, it was more or less a secular household. Mm -hmm. I mean, she didn't go to church. She wasn't overly religious. It's like the families that used to be when I was a child. Um, it was more or less secular, but we wouldn't dismiss that there was a God in heaven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we just, we're not overly religious. We didn't go to church or anything like that. Um, uh, and I was never one who thought there was no God, as I said before. And I sensed within myself that there was a God for some reason, all going back to my childhood. But I felt bitter towards him and hateful towards him. Because, because of what was happening, happening to family. my family, particularly yeah. my brother. I mean, bear in mind, I mean, my brother was born innocent. I mean, mm. and, and God didn't do anything to protect him from this, uh, this evil befalling him, becoming brain damaged. Mm. And um, as I grew older, feeling bitter and hate-filled, I resolved in myself that I will hate God with wow. all my being. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, and I, I, basically, I tried to develop a heart of stone where I would not be emotionally affected by any evil and, and misfortune. And um, over the years, in fact, over the decades, my um, heart of stone became oblivion. I mean, it was a sense of oblivion. It's, logically, it's impossible to describe what oblivion is. It's nothingness by mm -hmm. definition. How do you describe nothingness? It was a sense of oblivion in my heart, especially in the last one or two years before becoming a Christian. It was just oblivion in my heart. And I was willing to live the rest of my life wearing this oblivion. I wasn't looking for salvation or anything like that. I was happy to live my, the rest of my life. Mm. Like this, a sense of oblivion in my heart. How did this affect your relationship with your mother and your, your brother? This, uh, this, this new way to live with just this oblivion, this, this, this hatred. Uh, did it change the dynamic with how you viewed your mother and your, your brother? Or not I really? felt more distant towards them. I became more callous mm. towards them. Um, I, I used to be angry at my mother for feeling kindness and pity towards my brother and his condition. I was angry at her. Why don't you put him in a home and forget about him and, mm. you know, let him go, you know, forget about him, move on in life. But she wouldn't do that. She loves him. And um, I felt, I convinced myself that I didn't love him. And as the, 
as the days and weeks progressed, when they got closer to putting him into that um, um, place, the facility in Morissette, it became more desperate, more frantic, both for my mother and eventually for myself. I began to feel sorry. I discovered that actually I do have compassion for my brother. I do love him. And uh, I didn't want this to, to happen to him or to my, and to my mother. And um, oh, it was an awful experience. It was, it was just a sense of just absolute sorrow and um, day after day pacing up and down the house feeling frantic, a feeling of powerlessness. I've, I felt like I wanted to just leap out of my skin, mm. uninvent my own existence. I wish I never existed and all that. It was, a, it was an awful experience. And um, one, da- one night, it was between 8 or 9.30 p.m., in desperation, I just had enough. I, I was in my bedroom. I fell to my knees. I did something I thought I'd never do. I fell on my knees beside my bed and started praying. I started reciting the Lord's Prayer, which I learned when I was uh, 11, 12 years old, going to primary school. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As soon as that happened... I felt a spirit, well, could, I, the only way I can do it, a spirit just fall on me mm. and well up in me. It was everywhere in me. And it was a feeling of just peace and reassurance. I began to smile and I just knew it was the Holy Spirit. I just felt him. It was the Holy Spirit. Now, being an avid watcher of television throughout my life, I've heard of things like that happening to people where they, in desperation, they fell on their knees, started praying, and they claimed they felt the Holy Spirit. Mm. But I never really took it too much to mind. I wasn't that religious. Uh, I didn't disbelieve them. I just, it was somebody, it's happening to someone else. And um, this is, it was happening to me now. I was feeling the Holy Spirit, of what I believe to be the Holy Spirit. And I was immediately filled with peace and reassurance. So at that moment when you're, you're on your knees, you're praying, you have this sense. Before you describe you, you had this oblivion mm. attitude. Yeah, that oblivion got Just disappeared. Disappeared. Like it instantly. melted away. Wow. It melted away. It was replaced by this feeling of Holy Spirit, this mm. feeling of life. And um, as I said, I couldn't stop smiling the rest of the day. <laughs> so nothing, nothing had changed in terms of circumstances. Yeah, there's still there's still the same challenges in the family with mm. your brother. Nothing's changed, ex like externally, mm. but you're completely transformed almost internally. Yeah, you've got a different outlook, a different sense of peace and emotions have yeah. changed. Feelings have changed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Everything externally, it was still in the same situation I was as before, but I began to change inside. I felt this spirit inside of me. I've changed internally. And um, I remember the following day, just in the following days and weeks, I became deeply introspective. I would just think and question every thought that would come to mind. I would just question it. Everything I began to question. I began to sense that this world is actually more corrupt and evil than most people think. I, can, I could feel it in my heart. Um, it just it was different from what I was before. Mm. And I also, <laughs> I also began noticing things happening to me that you will either dismiss as coincidence or there really is a guardian angel. I mean, I would... Um, um, uh, people would suddenly stop at me in the street and offer me a, um, 
religious books out of nowhere. Somebody would just come along. I went out for those days. I still used to smoke, and I would um, duck out for a, for a smoke. And somebody just at that instant they walked by and they handed me a religious pamphlet having to do with uh, the final days in Armageddon and all that. Wow! <laughs> out of the blue, things like that didn't happen before. And um, and what happened when you got those sorts of? I would read it. I would regard it as a gift from God by that stage. So um, I would actually read it. It's questionable what the things I read. um, But it was a part of, it was just, things were crossing your path that were more on a spiritual nature than what had previously happened though. Yeah. After this encounter with with prayer and that sense of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Eventually I got around to getting a small copy of a Bible, one of those Gideon Bibles, which just had the New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, began reading that. And I came across a Bible, a KJV. I bought that. And then I tried to read it. And of course, being the KJV, I found it impossible (laughs) (laughs) because it's written in Old English. I was just drone on reading it and not understanding a single thing I was reading, which is confusing. And then one day, a a copy of a new King James Version came in and I I read out of curiosity and I could find it easy to read. It was written in more modern English. It was easier to read. So I bought that one instead. So I bought that one as well, I should say. So I have two Bibles at home, King James Version and New King James Version. When I started reading, it was um, the New Testament. It was that little Gideon's Bible before I got the KJV, right. the KJV. And I was reading the New Testament, and it, would, it was a strange experience. For the first time, it, felt, it didn't feel alien. It was felt as if it was a letter addressed to me personally. Wow. It was that sort of feeling yeah. as I was reading it. It was reading it, and even though I couldn't claim that I understood every single thing I was reading, right. there was that sense of, this, was, this had me in mind. This was written with me in mind. Had you read much of the Bible before all this encounter sort of started happening? Like took, growing up? I took a stab at it once, but I gave up in three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it was just impossible to read it. Um, I just I had no interest. I didn't understand it was esoteric. But, yeah, interesting. but this is the first time I read it. And it, it, as I said, it really felt as if it was addressed to me personally, with me in mind. That's, that's the interesting the thing. Like, experience. As I've talked to many different people who have, have had this sort of moment in their life where they pivoted from what life was before encountering God mm-hmm. and to what it was after. Mm-hmm. I've heard this the same point a few times now that when they've read, they've attempted to read these ancient manuscripts of the Bible before, they've mm-hmm. had this sort of, I call it a supernatural experience, right? Yeah. And it's like a, a, a dull, dusty document. Mm-hmm. But then after they have these encounters, whatever they are, they're all different. Yeah. All of a sudden, they pick up the same text, the same book, and now it seems to be like almost living and personal and yeah. and relevant. Yeah. It's it's amazing that there's there's like a cooperation between a supernatural and the, <laughs> the physical book that yeah. intersects in our faith experiment. Yeah. So yeah, you were describing the same thing. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. That's, that was the experience. It felt, as I said, I can't, can't claim I understood everything. Sure. Many things I didn't understand and many things I found um, uh, seemingly contradictory, especially when you get to revelations. Mm. Uh, I couldn't make any sense out of the symbolism. But um, nevertheless, there was that sense of it was, it was speaking to me. It was written in me in mind. Um, this, descri- this Bible passage describes me. This is how I think. You know? And I never had that experience before. Mind you, I wasn't exactly looking for it yeah. either. That's true. Ah. Around about late July 2019, I stopped watching television. I couldn't handle it anymore. It was just so poor quality. It's just not worth watching it, is it? <laughs> so um, in, the, in the following weeks, I, I began to miss having something in my life, so I began to listen to the radio. And I, that's when I discovered Faith FM. And I, I 
became very interested because they sounded as if they know what they're talking about. And by that time, I had read some of the Bible, not completely mm -hmm. throughout the book, but I read most of the New Testament and most of Psalms and Proverbs, started reading the Old Testament as well. And that's when I discovered pastors on the radio seem to know what they're talking about. They're celebrating the Sabbath on a Saturday because that's what the Bible says. They begin to make sense out of the book of Revelations and the book of Daniel. It seems to make sense what they were saying more than anyone else. It just makes sense. That's a feeling of um, these people know what they're talking about. So I thought... Um, Had you heard of, of the Sabbath being Saturday versus Sunday before? I knew that the Jews celebrated the Sabbath on a Saturday, mm. but I really thought that for Christians it must be a Sunday. But I never really gave it much thought right. growing up in my childhood. I remember as a 12-year-old a going to primary school doing scripture class, being perplexed by um, why one celebrates the Sabbath on a Saturday and then we celebrate it on a Sunday. Because you see, in Greek, I'm Greek, mm -hmm. ethnically, the Greek word for um, Saturday is Savato, Sabbath. Right. Yeah. And I thought, why do we celebrate it on Saturday? Why, why are we celebrating on Sunday if, the, the, if Saturday is Sabbath, Savato in Greek? I, I just was perplexed by this as a 12-year-old. I didn't understand it, why it is this way. So they, the preachers, the, po um, the pastors on um, this um, Faith FM, they, be, they just made sense. They began to resolve the many mysteries that, for me, were in the Bible. And um, curiosity, and I was listening to them for about a year, growing in my knowledge from what they were just, what I was just listening on the radio. Mm. And one day I thought, you know, look, I'll put my money where my mouth is. Why don't I go to church? And um, by this time it was 2020 and lockdown, the first COVID lockdown occurred. Mm -hmm. And I discovered at the church here, I think it was, was it in March or April, I decided to come here. I walked all the way here, came you here. walked here? Yeah, I walked here. I don't live too far. It's a 40-minute walk, within a 40-minute walk, and I don't mind walking. You know, it's good exercise. I need it. I don't have the <laughs> discipline to do anything else. I'm not going to join a gym or start jogging, so yeah. I might as well walk. Yeah, don't drive. Wow. <laughs> anyway. So you just walk everywhere around, around Newcastle? Everywhere. Uh, well, if I'm going uptown to Newcastle, I will catch the bus, but right. it's one of the very few exceptions. Yeah. Um, but usually I just walk everywhere. If I want to go here to Kmart, which is in Moratow, I'll walk. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like so, Forrest Gump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just walk. And, um, so you walk to the church? Yeah, walk to the church. Yeah. Sometimes some people um, give me a lift on the way home, but yep. that's about it. So it's, it's March, COVID's hit, you decide yeah. to walk to church one, one Saturday? Yeah, to, to, to come here to church. I was greeted with it being closed because uh, of COVID-19. Because of lockdowns. Because of COVID-19, because of oh. lockdowns, it was closed. Wow. So 40-minute so walk. It was for nothing. <laughs> no big deal. And as the months wore on, I, I, well, I, I very quickly forgot about it. And as the months wore on, I had this friend who was a Catholic, and um, she basically grew up going to church. And because of the COVID uh, lockdown, she wasn't allowed to go to church. And she used to keep on complaining that she, she couldn't go to church and she doesn't feel completely herself without going to church and all that. One day, she started saying, it was in October, she, you know, churches opened, um, or perhaps in September, I don't exactly remember when it, it started opening, but she started saying that um, she's gone to church and she, um, um, yeah, she's back to enjoying it, going to church again. I feel that whole with her life again. Mm. So I, I thought to myself, since her church is open, the Seventh-day Adventist <laughs> Church in Halton must also be open as well. So on Saturday, it was on the 
24th of October 2020. I walked over here and I was greeted. It was open. Oh. The church was open. <laughs> I, was, I was holding my breath for a second. I was like, oh, not again. <laughs> it was open. I walked in. Well, the first thing, I just didn't know what to do. I, I met all of these people, saw all of these people around, and what do I do now? Is there some sort of procedure? I mean, do, do I just walk in and sit in on a pew? Right. Um, do I go to the pastor, the, someone in charge, and just talk to them? I mean, what do I do? So <laughs> I, I walked into the church, and in the aisle I saw Ryan, well, I later found out his name was Ryan, was um, setting up some tripod and a camera on it for some, for some special event, I suppose. Uh, though I don't know what it was right now. Yeah. I think it was on, um, going to be shown on Facebook. I think yeah. that was it. I walked up to him. He seemed to know what he was doing, so I asked him, uh, hello, George, uh, hello, uh, I'm here. This is my first time at church. Um, exactly what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> I bet mean, he was shocked. Was he a bit surprised? Yeah, he was. Uh, I don't remember him being surprised, but uh, I remember him saying something like, um, I don't remember word for word, uh, this is your family now. Wow. This is your family now. How did that make you feel? I, I felt calm. I felt peaceful. Oh, this is my spiritual family. That's how wow. I took it. And I felt at peace. Uh, for a while before he left, uh, we, we got along. We got along. Mm. And um, he began to know of my peculiarities that I'm frightened of getting up in front of a crowd and speaking and things like that. <laughs> he began to know, become, uh, know, my, um, know me personally. Yeah. Uh, that's when I started coming to church. I started sitting in the pews and then started singing and whenever there was a church service and talking and all that. People would come, since I was the new newbie, yeah. and, um, people would talk to me. I mean, people, the, the pastor would talk to me. Um, Ryan would talk to me. Um, the pastor's wife, Charissa, would come to me. And uh, everyone was friendly because I was the newbie, which made me feel um, special and at home and all that. And, Bit of a uh, difference from what you've what you described your life being before this, right? Sort yeah. of the homebody, yeah, not really enough. going out there much, yeah. and now you're the center of attention. Yeah, <laughs> I was a loner, and now I'm surrounded by people who um, go out of their way to um, to take me into account. Mm. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I felt uncomfortable at first because I'm not used to being treated yeah. that way. So sort of a little standoffish now and then. Yeah. But um, I appreciated it, that they made me feel welcome and all that. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Um, because I mean, I, re- I heard from Faith FM that a Christian should be baptised not just by spirit, and I really believe that I've been baptised by the Holy Spirit, I should mm. be baptised by water. Mm. And I always felt that my baptism into the Greek Orthodox religion as an infant counts. And I heard Faith FM, it doesn't really count. I mean, that, that baptism speaks of your parents' faith, it doesn't speak of your faith, because I was an infant, I couldn't right. really make a choice as an infant. Um, you so need to I, believe and be baptised. Yes. You need to choose. Yeah. yeah. And from Faith FM, I was told I need to be baptized not just by, by spirit, but with water as well. Mm. And um, I, that's it. The day came and I was baptized and um, that's it. I've, I've been walking with God um, ever since. I got my um, baptism with water and then I met, meet up with my obligation with what God said, to be baptized by both water and spirit. It just happened to be um, five years apart, five, six years <laughs> apart, you know. 
My baptism with the Holy Spirit happened in 2015. My baptism water happened six years later in 2021. Mm. You know, some people, <laughs> when we talk about baptism, some people, they have a misconception that you just, you get baptized and then everything changes and everything's amazing and everything, that, yeah. that's it from that point on. Yeah. But the reality is that the Bible teaches that baptism comes after a relationship with God. It's, mm. it's sort of like the, the public display of the relationship you've already you're already experiencing with God. Some people think that not until you get baptized do you have a relationship with God, but that's not the case. Yeah. And your example is a perfect yeah. illustration of that. You you already had, like you say, five years of a relationship mm. with God and mm. it was growing and maturing and deeper understanding. And then you make that public stand in baptism. So George, you mentioned before that you were baptized as a as a baby in, mm-hmm. according to your Greek Orthodox sort of heritage. You mentioned that your dad was pretty much atheist. Is that that fair to say? But as a Greek Orthodox, did you have any sense of how you're supposed to see the world, like life, death, the meaning of life, the purpose of life? Did you have any sense of that growing up? Oh, no, not really. Nothing that I'm aware of. I mean, um, I don't know where my religiosity came from. I mean, you might be tempted to say that it's been because of my mother, but she wasn't overly religious. He didn't go to church. My grandmother used to go to church. And, um, but I, I don't know if I, I don't remember if I learnt it from her or anyone else. Mm. It's just that I, for some inexplicable reason, going back to my childhood, I had an inclination to believe that there is a God. Mm. Uh, and I, it's a bit of a mystery where it came from. So I guess now looking back on a journey that's taken decades mm-hmm. from that, you know, from your, your childhood roots, you would just see that you've sort of incrementally been growing in your understanding of God and the big picture of the universe and the big picture of the world. Like you've, you've sort of just been growing that over these decades to where you are now. Like you, you probably have a clearer view of who God is, death, life, purpose, those sorts of things now. No, I, I didn't grow in my faith in God or anything. I just had an inclination to believe that there is a God, but I, I grew up more or less in a secular type of uh, way of thinking. Mm. You know, believing in science, Darwinian evolution, geological time, blah, 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 that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to pursue a career in being in science, in fact. So uh, I wasn't all that... Uh, I, I suppose as a teenager, as it comes by being a, a teenager, I rejected the belief in God mm-hmm. and uh, began to just prefer science instead and um, the technology and all what science can provide. And... Um, uh, so I, I didn't really have a worldview from a religious point of view. Right. It was more of a secular, atheistic way of looking at this world. Yeah. But deep down, there was always that little seed in me that I had an inclination to still believe that there really is a God after all. Mm. You know. But I tried to suppress it. I tried to suppress it and just become an outright um, secular, humanist, atheist, that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, so that that was basically my world view, is that of a secular, atheistic point of view. And so, trying to reject the idea of God, even though I had this inclination to believe that there is a God. Right. So after you had that moment that you described where you're kneeling down, mm-hmm. I think it was beside your bed, I think you said. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're pouring out yourself to God, I think is the way you sort of described it. And then you have that sense of the Holy Spirit. Since that moment, it's been a few years now since then, I'm curious to know, and I know that there are many people out there who will be listening to this, Mm -hmm. who will probably be able to identify 
with being in circumstances, whether it's in their family, whether it's in their relationships. To put it bluntly, bad stuff has happened. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking specifically like your, your brother's case. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's no matter how you look at it, it's it's not what anybody plans when bringing a child into the world yeah. to have you know the sort of challenges that your brothers had, mm-hmm. and then by extension you've had mm-hmm. and your mother's had as as you've journeyed from that night and you've been growing in your understanding of God and that you've seen him do these what you describe as miracles and mm. he's leading you how has your view just what the bad that's happened to your family to your brother mm-hmm. you you explained before that you you just hated God for allowing it to happen yeah it wasn't his choice he didn't have a say in it but he has to deal with it mm-hmm. so you hated that that experience that 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 situation mm-hmm. now and where you are in your journey of faith mm-hmm. how do you view that because people out there are dealing with bad circumstances and challenges every day. And the temptation is to do what you described you did. Mm-hmm. To go, God, I give up on you. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's not fair. Well, How do you view it now? I'm just curious. Evil is evil. There's no sense in it. I, I realize that now as a Christian. There's no sense in it. It exists as something that should not exist. So I, I can't sort of put a shine on all the evil that happened in my brother's life, in my family's life, in my life and all that growing up ever since my childhood. I can't say that it was a good thing. I can't put a, a gloss on it. Mm. It was evil is evil. It's wrong that it should happen. But I've made peace with that, that, um, that this is not God's way. This is not what God wanted to have. Mm. It's not what God wanted to have. So I, and I have trust in him that there will be a time when it'll all be swept away and forgotten. My brother one day will be a resurrected being. Mm. We'll meet him in the next life, mm. come resurrection, or in the kingdom, I should say. And um, same goes true with perhaps my mother and all that. So, um, look, I, I can't really say I liked what happened. It, it, I can't. There's just no sense to it. There's just yeah, no I don't sense think, to and I don't think we're expected to either. Yeah, but um, I see it from the point of view of a Christian now. I'm not trying to justify, not try to gloss it over and try to make it seem sugary. Yeah. And it was because it wasn't. But I've made a sense of peace with it. I accepted this is what happened. It shouldn't be. But you know, God didn't want it to be that way either. Mm. But this is the way it happened. You know, I'm, I was atheist as well until... I think I was 23 or 24 probably when I really mm. was open to, you know what? The universe is bigger than my brain, yeah. you know? Yeah. But before that, one of my greatest, I thought, greatest arguments against faith, against the idea of God and, and all of that was, if your God is so good, then why does he allow evil and bad in the world, right? Yeah. And it seems like maybe you didn't, you didn't articulate in those same words, mm-hmm. but the result was the same. You, you chose to turn on and say, well, I want nothing to do with you, God, if that's how you're going to treat my, my brother, my family, and so on, right? Yeah. It's, I think it's very human that we, we take our frustration out on some, something that we feel is responsible, right? Mm-hmm. Or has had the ability to change it and hasn't decided to do it. Mm-hmm. And yet, as you've just alluded to, the thing that I find remarkable is that God... He is very clear in these ancient manuscripts 
that the evil that exists, it's not, it's not, a, it's not his will. Mm-hmm. It's not his desire. It wasn't his plan. Mm-hmm. It's here. He's aware of that. Mm-hmm. And he's got a plan to solve it. Mm. It's not on our time frame, unfortunately, right? Yeah. We, we would like to see things happen you know, now. Mm-hmm. But he's got a plan. Mm. And that's the amazing thing that came to a realization when, in my journey. And then it led me to the same thing you just mentioned. You still, we still live in this broken world. It's a fractured creation. Things are still going to be broken and mm-hmm. going to be painful and hurtful. But the thing that I love about it, and you just touched on it right then, is that we're given a peace that can navigate through this stuff. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, doesn't justify, doesn't explain it, doesn't make it better mm-hmm. in terms of righting the wrongs now. And they will be, but not now. Mm-hmm. But we've given a piece that allows us to cope. It's like a coping mechanism through this time that we've got to endure here and now. Mm-hmm. And you just you just reminded me of that, as you just said. You know, it's it's not that now in your experiment of faith and your journey as a Christian, you can look back and go, "Oh no, it's all good. Nothing nothing ever happened bad." Yeah, yeah. You see it for what it is, mm-hmm. but something inside's changed the way you handle it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the remarkable thing yeah. about this whole yeah. walk with God. Yeah, it doesn't overwhelm me. The evil doesn't overwhelm me. Mm. I know that someday God is going to fix everything up mm. yeah, in a way that I cannot comprehend. So, George, this has been a remarkable conversation with you, just hearing how that from such yeah, difficult circumstances and sort of this challenge with seeing God as being anything good in it and sort of having this, well, I'm going to direct all my hate and all my frustration at you to a 180 mm. through through a lot of years and a lot of um, pain and circumstances for sure. I want to ask you this question. For people who are listening to your story here and they can resonate with something in it, um, mm-hmm. maybe the, the challenges or family, loved one, relationship, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. they can identify with some of the hurt that you've experienced, some of the pain, what would your advice be to them based on what you have been through and what you're experiencing now? What would you say to someone that's listening to your story and says, man, George's story sounds like mine. I mean, what would you say to them to give them some direction? Oh, I would say don't try to make sense of evil. You never will. It exists as something that shouldn't exist. Just turn to God, open, shred your heart open to him. Let him handle it. Throw your problems in at him. God might not correct the evil, or especially if it happened in the past, past is past, but he can work with you now and in the future. God is more than just giving you a sense of consolation. It's not just a consolation God in one's life. It's, it's an optimism for the future, that things are going to get, um, things are going to be better, and things are going to be perfect, in fact, and it'll be eternal. And all the trouble and pain that we endure in this world will one day be seem so insignificant. We'll, we'll forget about it. I can't imagine that it would. Um, we would remember it forever. It'll be forgotten. It'll be done away with in some way. It'll lose its position in space-time. I mean, <laughs> that's how I see it. <laughs> you know, you re- you what you've just described reminds me of the lyrics from a, an old gospel hymn mm-hmm. that says. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, mm-hmm. and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of what you just described. No matter what's happening in your life, mm-hmm. no matter how difficult it is, how hard it is to explain, if it's past, it's past. Mm-hmm. But if you turn your eyes upon Jesus, somehow mm-hmm. things resolve. 
Yeah, yeah. Help me anyway. You have to be honest like that. In fact, I mean, that, that night when I fell on my knees and I started praying to, to God, it was a very honest time in myself. Mm. It was a feeling of just absolute honesty helped me. And, and God will come. He'll come. He'll in some way. It might not be as dramatic as the Holy Spirit descending you right there and then, unless you do need it right there and there, but it, your life will change. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, George. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And I am, yeah, just, it's amazing to hear your story. And I'm sure that people out there are going to go, wow, if God can do that for George, he can do it for me too. So thank you, George, <laughs> for being on the show. Thank you, Robbie. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this special bonus episode of The Faith Experiment, episode 51, George's Story, Heartache to Healing. And as a promise at the top of the show, I have got a great giveaway today. It is the powerful little book, Steps to Christ. This book has helped people just like George and countless millions to grow in their very own faith experiment. To get today's free offer, all you need to do is take out your phone and text the code word George. That's George with a G. Text that to 04888-45311. Text the code word George Our SMS bot will ask you for some details and we'll get this book to you as soon as possible so you too can put it into practice in your very own faith experiment. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this little episode and I look forward to seeing you in the next regular edition of The Faith Experiment. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 0488 45311. That's 0488 45311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Hey, guess what? Robbie here. This is a bonus. The Faith Experiment is going to be going live. Not on radio, but in person. Check out faithfm.com.au slash events to see where I'll be visiting next. I'll be visiting towns and cities right across Australia presenting The Faith Experiment in person. So if you'd like to join me, come say hello, or just dig deeper into these amazing manuscripts and put some faith into experimentation, check out faithfm.com.au slash events and see where I'll be visiting next.